We'll find uh, Hosea 8 as we continue our journey through Hosea. When God rejects what we trust. When God rejects what we trust. Hosea chapter 8. We're going to be doing a lot of reading tonight in Scripture, so find Deuteronomy chapter 28 also. Deuteronomy 28. And then 2 Kings 17. 2 Kings 17. Deuteronomy 28. And I'll be reading tonight from the NIV. Hosea 8, our main text, Deuteronomy 28, and 2 Kings 17. may say a vulture is over the house of the Lord because the people have broken my covenant and rebelled against my law. Israel cries out to me, our God, we acknowledge you, but Israel has rejected what is good. An enemy will pursue him. They set up kings without my consent. They choose princes without my approval. With their silver and gold, they make idols for themselves to their own destruction. Samaria, throw out your calf idol. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of purity? They are from Israel. This calf, a metal worker, has made it. It is not God. It will be broken in pieces, that calf of Samaria. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no head, it will produce no flower. Were it to yield grain, foreigners would swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. Now she is among the nations like something no one wants. For they have gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has sold herself to lovers. Although they have sold themselves among the nations... I will now gather them together. They will begin to waste away under the oppression of the mighty king. Though Ephraim built many altars for sin offerings, these have become altars for sinning. I wrote for them the many things of my law, but they regarded them as something foreign. Though they offer sacrifices as gifts to me, and though they eat the meat, the Lord is not pleased with them. Now he will remember their wickedness and punish their sins. They will return to Egypt. Israel has forgotten their maker and built palaces. Judah has fortified many towns. But I will send fire on their cities that will consume their fortresses. If you've been here the past couple of weeks, you know that I've mentioned that we're in that section in Hosea where God has his people on trial and he is acting as a prosecuting attorney uh, bringing charges against his people. And that section continues uh, tonight, goes all the way through uh, chapter 8. And I just want to jump right into it. Point number one, I want you to see that they are guilty of empty religion. They are guilty of empty religion. Look again at what he's telling them there. Put the trumpet to your lips. An eagle is over the house of the Lord because my people have broken my covenant and rebelled against my law. Israel cries out to me, Our God, we acknowledge you, but Israel has rejected what is good. An enemy will pursue him. What God's doing in verse 1 is he is announcing 
that the time of judgment is at hand. And that is one of the reasons they would blow the trumpet. They might blow the trumpet or the shofar uh, for special worship gatherings. They may also blow the trumpet or the shofar for times of war, calls to battle. And that's what it is here in verse 1. Put a trumpet to your lips. In other words, judgment's coming. A, a battle is coming. Uh, an eagle looms. And again, your translation may say a vulture. Uh, the idea is one of judgment and death, where birds of prey are, are going to be scavenging over dead bodies. That's kind of a pleasant image, isn't it? Uh, but that's what they're being warned about. Now, as we have previously seen already, the problem is Israel. And what have they done? They have broken the covenant. I want you to turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, God gave blessings and curses. Uh, he says, beginning in verse 1, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all His commands that I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land, and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in, and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to the Lord your God will bless you in the land He's giving you. The Lord will establish you as His holy people as He promised you on oath if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to Him. Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, the crops of your ground, in the land... He swore to your ancestors to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of His bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all His commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed and the crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and rebuke in everything you put your hand to until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking Him. The Lord will plague you with diseases until He has destroyed you from the land you are entering to possess. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease, with fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, with blout, uh, blight and mildew, which will plague you until you perish. The sky over your head will be bronze, the ground beneath you iron. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. It will come down from the skies until you're destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven, and you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms on earth. Your carcasses will be food for all the birds and the wild animals, and there will be no one to frighten them away. The Lord will inflict you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors, festering sores, and the itch from which you cannot be cured. The Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness, and confusion of mind. At midday, you will grope about like a blind person in the dark. 
You will be unsuccessful in everything you do. Day after day, you will be oppressed and robbed with no one to rescue you. You will be pledged to be married to a woman, but another will take her and rape her. You will build a house, but you will not live in it. You will plant a vineyard, but you will not even begin to enjoy its fruit. Your ox will be slaughtered before your eyes, but you will eat none of it. Your donkey will be forcibly taken from you and will not be returned. Your sheep will be given to your enemies and no one will rescue them. Your sons and daughters will be given to another nation and you will wear out your eyes watching for them day after day, powerless to lift a hand. A people that you do not know will eat what your land and labor produce and you will have nothing but cruel oppression all your days. The sights you see will drive you mad. The Lord will afflict your knees and your legs with painful boils that cannot be cured, spreading from the soles of your feet to the top of your head. The Lord will drive you and the king you set over you to a nation unknown to your ancestors. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone. You will become a thing of horror, a byword, and an object of ridicule among all the peoples where the Lord will drive you. On and on he goes. The terms of the covenant, the blessings if they obey, the curses if they disobey. I would encourage you to continue to, to read this chapter in Deuteronomy on your own. So, no one can say that they have not been warned. No one can say that they've not been warned because what was Moses doing in the book of Deuteronomy? You remember what Deuteronomy is about? They're about to cross into the promised land. Moses isn't going to be able to go with them. He's going to die. Joshua will be the one to take them into the promised land. But before they go into the promised land, the book of Deuteronomy is this series of discourses or sermons by Moses, kind of recapping for them the law uh, and recapping for them the covenant that they've agreed to live by. So again, everything that's happening to them, they brought on themselves. They were warned. And they agreed to the terms of the covenant. And so that's what they're guilty of. And now Hosea is pronouncing God's executing the curses of the covenant on them. But I want you to notice what they're doing. They are acknowledging God with their lips. Did you notice that? They're acknowledging God with their lips, but they are refusing to do good and they're refusing to do what's right. It reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus you know, talked about uh, people will say, Lord, Lord, and He'll end up saying, depart from me, I never knew you. Lip service. Worship that is lip service and nothing more. People were going to the temple and offering God lip service, leaving, and their lives were unchanged. They're living like the world around them. That's what they're guilty of. And so because of that, Hosea is saying, or God through Hosea is saying, the day of judgment has arrived. And Assyria is being viewed like an eagle or a vulture. Like I say, the Hebrew could go either way. A bird of prey. And this bird of prey is about to descend upon its prey. Now folks, this brings up a point we need to consider. How does God bring about judgment? How does God bring about judgment? You know, we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And how he rained down sulfur on them and destroyed them overnight. God can do that. He did that against Sodom and Gomorrah. We think of that being an example of God's judgment. But God may use things in this world as instruments of his judgment. Just everyday things. You know, Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 because of the way they were coming to the Lord's table. 
and they weren't caring about anybody else and they were rushing in and thinking only about themselves. He said, because the way some of you come to the Lord's table, there's, there's unrepented of and unconfessed sin in your lives also. Because of all this, you remember what Paul told the Corinthians? Some of you are sick and some of you have even died. God using sickness and death. Not sulfur from heaven raining down, but just ordinary things. Sickness and death as instruments of His judgment. It's kind of like Gurney Parsons used to say. I know you don't know who Gurney Parsons is. He was a senior adult man in my second church, and um, he was he was a super guy. He was probably 90 years old. Imagine Kevin Knight at 90 years old. <laughs> Gurney was a big guy, bigger than Kevin Knight. Big guy, shaved head like that, and he was a crusty old um, country fellow. I mean, he was as crusty as he could be. He he spoke his mind, but everybody loved Gurney. I mean, he he would speak his mind and say some pretty blunt things, but everybody loved Gurney. They uh, they just did. Uh, he'd hear somebody in the hospital whom he knew didn't serve God, didn't support the church in any way or missions causes, and somebody would say, why is so-and-so in the hospital? Gurney would say, God's collecting his tithe. <laughs> now, we've got to be careful saying things like that. We don't, we don't know that unless God were to reveal it. it. It might be God's collecting his tithe, but it may not be. We don't want to be dogmatic about saying sickness and suffering is always God's judgment. You know, that was... That was the bad counsel of Job's friends, wasn't it? Job, what have you done wrong to deserve this? You're suffering. And you've lost family members. You've lost your children. You've lost your flocks and herds because you've done something wrong. No. God had even said in chapter 1, God told Satan, Job was a righteous man. He wasn't suffering because of unrighteousness at all, because of sin. And you also remember Jesus in John 9, the man born blind. Remember the leaders came to him and said, Lord, why was this man born blind? Who sinned? Did he sin or did his parents sin? And you remember what Jesus said? Neither. This sickness is for the glory of God. So we don't always want to connect sickness and suffering with sin. But sometimes we do. And in this case, we do want to connect the two. Because God's saying here they're connected. All the suffering they're about to endure, the judgment that's about to fall on them, is directly connected to their sin. They're responsible. Assyria is about to swoop in on them like an eagle and devour them. And Assyria, and the king of Assyria, is indeed going to be an instrument in God's hands to judge them. Find 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings 17. And I'll begin reading in verse 5. Here again, I'm going to read a good bit. 2 Kings 17, beginning in verse 5. The king of Assyria invaded the entire land, marched against Samaria, and laid siege to it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, not Hosea the prophet, this is, this is a king here, Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria. He settled them in Halah and goes on on the Harbor River, uh, Habert River, and in the towns of the Medes. 
All this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They worshipped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as the practices that the kings of Israel had introduced. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. From watchtower to fortified city, they built themselves high places in all their towns. They set up sacred stones and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. At every high place, they burned incense as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did wicked things that aroused the Lord's anger. They worshipped idols, though the Lord had said, You shall not do this. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers, Turn from your evil ways. Observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey and that I delivered to you through my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors and the statutes he had warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They intimidated, or excuse me, they imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. They forsook all the commands of the Lord their God and made for themselves two idols cast in the shape of calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed down to all the starry host, and they worshipped Baal. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and salt omens, and sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left, and even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God. They followed the practices Israel had introduced. Therefore, the Lord rejected all the people of Israel. He afflicted them and gave them into the hands of the plunderers until he thrust them from his presence. That would have been in 722 B.C. Again, this is what God through Hosea is saying is about to happen. Uh, when he tore Israel away from the house of David, they made Jeroboam, son of Nebat, their king. Jeroboam enticed Israel away from following the Lord and caused them to commit a great sin. The Israelites persisted in all the sins of Jeroboam and did not turn away from them until the Lord removed them from his presence as he had warned through all his servants the prophets. So the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria and they're still there. The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutah, Abba, Hamath, and Sepharvaim, and settled them in the towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. They took over Samaria and lived in its towns. When they first lived there, they did not worship the Lord, so he sent lions among them and they killed some of the people. It was reported to the king of Assyria, the people you deported and resettled in the towns of Samaria do not know uh, what the God of that country requires. He has sent lions among them which are killing them off because the people do not know what he requires. Then the king of Assyria gave this order, have one of the priests you took captive from Samaria go back to live there and teach the people what the God of the land requires. So one of the priests who had been exiled from Samaria came to live in Bethel and taught them how to worship the Lord. Nevertheless, each national group made its own gods in the several towns where they settled and set them up in the shrines the people of Samaria had made at the high places. The people from Babylon made Sukkoth, Benoth, those from uh, Kutah made Nergal, and those from Hamath made Ashimah, the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak, and the uh, Sepharvites burned their children in the fire as sacrifices the gods um, to the gods of Sarabaim. Uh, they worshiped the Lord, but they also appointed all sorts of their own people to officiate for them as priests in the shrines of the high places. They worshiped the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had 
been brought. To this day, they persist in their former practices. They neither worship the Lord nor adhere to the decrees and regulations, the laws and commands that the Lord gave the descendants of Jacob, whom he named Israel. So folks, this, this is the Samaria in the days of Jesus. This is the northern kingdom, the ten tribes being destroyed. Carried off to Assyria, and then he moved other peoples in the land, then took a priest back there, and the Jews in Samaria, they intermarried, and on the one hand, they would try to worship the Lord, on the other hand, they would worship the gods of the nations of the peoples who had been brought in. So they were mixed, mixing everything. And that's why by the time of Jesus, the Jews still would not um, associate with the Samaritans. Remember, Samaria was, was the northern kingdom, Israel, sometimes referred to as Samaria, sometimes referred to as Ephraim, another major tribe. But this, this is where all that started, okay? And in the days of Jesus, like I say, the Samaritans were still mixed up, uh, kind of half in and half out, kind of trying to be syncretistic with, with religion and so forth. And so what God is saying through Hosea here in chapter 8, this is all about to take place. Put the trumpet to the lips. This war is about to begin. The Assyrian troops are about to come in and destroy Israel. The time is now. Get ready. Uh, they've acted like practical atheists. The Israelites. Because again, they've been crying out, we acknowledge you, God. We call to you. Save us. But then they don't do right. They don't serve the Lord. And so God is finally saying, it's too late. They've not sought the Lord they worship the work of their own hands. They bow to these idols they've made. They've only been offering lip service to God. And so God is saying, enough is enough. I'm done. Judgment's coming. Now folks, let's remember God is long-suffering and patient. But there is a day the door, the door is shut. Think of the days of Noah. All those years, Noah was building the ark. And yet the day came, God said to Noah, get your family on board the ark. And he shut the door of the ark and the rain started. The day of judgment came. Enough was enough. In 2 Peter chapter 3, again, we find that God is patient. At the end of time, still future for us today, there, there's mockers that will be saying, oh, the end's not going to, the world's not going to end. God's not bringing the world to an end because everything just continues to go on like it's always gone on. Peter says, don't you be deceived into thinking that. The end is going to happen. People live as though judgment is not going to happen. And it is going to happen. I wonder if I'm speaking to somebody tonight. You've been trying the patience of the Lord. Don't presume that you have enough time to get right with God. You may not have. If you don't get right now, you may not have enough time. Don't presume upon the patience of the Lord. Israel presumed upon the patience of the Lord and the clock ran out. And the ten northern tribes were destroyed. Second thing I want you to see tonight. They are guilty of independent living. They are guilty of independent living. He says beginning in verse 4, they set up kings without my consent. They choose princes without my approval. With their silver and gold, they make idols for themselves to their own destruction. Samaria, throw out your calf idol. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of purity? They are from Israel. This calf a metal worker has made it. It is not God. It will be broken in pieces, that calf of Samaria. Look at what they're doing. They basically are not seeking God for anything. He, he says, 
They set up kings without my consent and choose princes without my approval. Remember the days of Saul and, and, and David? Remember that? Israel wanted a king so they could be like the other nations. And Samuel warned them, but they wouldn't listen to him. And so God told Samuel to get them a king. And they chose Saul. Why did they choose Saul? Because he was tall, dark, and handsome. He was taller than everybody. What, a head taller than everybody else around him. Tall, dark, and handsome. And so they said, he's the one we want to be our leader over us. And he was a colossal disappointment. And God removed him. And then God led Samuel to David. You remember that? Jesse's sons, all of them, paraded before Samuel. And God said, no, nope, not him. No, nope, not him. No, nope, not him. And Samuel looked at Jesse. Don't you have any other? Yeah, I still got my, my little son. He's out in the fields with the flocks. Go get him. And when he appeared before Samuel, God said, He's the one. He's the one. And David turned out to be a man after God's own heart, despite some of the failures that he had. The people's choice, Saul, versus God's choice, David. Now folks, all of this should have been a testimony to the people that they need to seek God for their leaders. But they did. According to verse 4, seeking God for their leaders wasn't even on their minds. They put in office whoever they wanted to put in office. They never considered who God might have wanted. You know what? This ought to say something to us in election year, right? It ought to be a testimony to us. It amazes me. I mean, it absolutely amazes me that out of 330 million people in this country, we end up with the leaders that we have. Instead of the cream of the crop, we get the sludge at the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> God, God goes on saying, verse 4, you're even making your own gods. Now think of how absurd that is. Turn back to Isaiah 44 with me. Isaiah 44. And pick up reading with me in verse 6. Isaiah's going to really show the ridiculousness of trying to make your own God. Isaiah 44 beginning in verse 6. This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble, do not be afraid, do not proclaim this and foretell. Uh, did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. <clears throat> All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame who shapes a god and casts an idol which can profit nothing. People who do that will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and shame. The blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. Now folks, just listen to what Isaiah is going to do. He's going to talk about the, the silliness and the sheer ignorance of idol worship. He shapes it with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. Compasses. He shapes it in human form, human form in all its glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cut down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine. 
and the rain made it grow. It is used as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. But he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his field. He also warms himself and says, Ha ha, I'm warm. I see the fire. From the rest he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, Save me. You are my god. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see. Their minds closed so they can't understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say. Half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, Is not this thing in my right hand alive? The stupidity of going to the woods, getting a tree, using part of it to cook your food over, warm your house, then you make an idol out of another part of the leftover wood and bow down to it and say, You are my God. Such stupidity. <laughs> and, and, and that's what's going on. In, in verse 4 of Hosea 8, he points out these gods can't save. In fact, he says you're going to be destroyed. These gods you've made for yourselves, they can't save. Assyria is on the move. They're coming in. You're about to be destroyed. And what, what good are your idols going to do? Folks, if we run to some, put our trust in something that's not God, in times of trouble, it can't save. It can't save. In verse 5, he addresses Samaria, which again, Samaria is the northern kingdom. Sometimes called Israel, sometimes Samaria, sometimes Ephraim. And look at what he says. He says, God has rejected your calf worship. You remember what that goes back to? Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Remember him? Elders come, the people come to Rehoboam and say, said, give us some relief from your dad's taxes and regulations he put on us. So Rehoboam went to elders in the land and said, what should I do? And they said, listen to the people. Your dad, was, your dad was hard on the people. He required a lot of the citizens of the nation. Give them some relief. You give them relief and they'll be loyal to you the whole time you're king. Then he went to some of the younger counselors and they said, no, don't give them relief. In fact, go back to them and say, you know what, my little pinky finger is going to be worse weight on you than the whole weight of everything my dad ever put on you. He went with that counsel. And when he did, Jeroboam, Jeroboam told the ten tribes, let's go. Let's divide off from Rehoboam. And that's when Israel was split between Israel and Judah. Ten tribes to the north, Israel, under Jeroboam, and then Rehoboam in the south, over two tribes. And then Jeroboam, because their worship and their sacrifice was back at the temple in Jerusalem, which was the southern kingdom, Jeroboam, because of fear, started thinking if the people start going back down into the southern kingdom to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship and offer sacrifice, their hearts are going to gravitate back to Rehoboam. So remember, he took golden calves and set them up in two places in the northern kingdom. Dan in the north of the northern kingdom and calves at Bethel in the southern part of the northern kingdom, only about six or eight miles up above Jerusalem. 
And he told the ten tribes, you go to one of these two places, worship these calves. These are your gods now. Make sacrifice to them. And that's what they had done in the northern kingdom. And look at what he says here. God has rejected your calf idol. And he says in verse 6, they're from Israel. God, God is promising to judge them even though they are Israelites. Folks, being God's people does not exempt us from judgment. Sometimes people might think, oh, I go to church. I'm a member of such and such church down the road. Or this church, I'm okay. I, you know, God, God's going to look the other way, whatever I may be doing. I, I'm, I'm saved. Hey, I was saved when I was eight years old. I'm safe. And they don't think God's going to judge them. But what's the Scripture say? Judgment begins at the house of God. They're Israelites, and yet God's going to judge them. Well, thirdly, judgment is more serious than people think. Judgment is more serious than people think. Look at verse 7. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no head, it will produce no flower. Were it to yield grain, foreigners would swallow it up. They have planted the wind and they have reaped the whirlwind. Judgment will be worse, in other words, than anything they could ever even have imagined. Wind, whirlwind. It's a play on words. Now folks, you may remember uh, some months ago or a couple of years ago when we talked about the principles of the harvest from Galatians 6. you remember that? Galatians 6, verse 7 uh, Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps whatever he sows. Remember some of those principles of the harvest we saw back then? It applies now. Principle number one, God is not mocked. They've been mocking God. They've been mocking God. God's not mocked. The biggest lie that Satan will tell you is you can live in disobedience to God and everything's going to be fine. It's not going to be. You know, that's the lie that Satan told Eve, isn't it? He was telling Eve, Eve, you can get away with it. If you eat of this fruit, your eyes are going to be open. You'll see life. You'll see life like you've never seen it before. Why, Eve, you're going to be like God. You're going to be enlightened. But Satan's plan for Adam and Eve didn't turn out so good for him, did it? God is not mocked. Principle number two of the harvest, whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. That's a law of investments. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. The harvest is always a product of the seed. You sow what you reap. If you sow corn, you don't reap squash. Principle three, we reap more than we sow. And in verse eight of Galatians six, Paul says, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Things are intensified. You sow to the flesh, you reap corruption and even destruction. You sow to the Spirit, you reap eternal life. The harvest is intensified. You don't just reap things of the flesh, you reap destruction. You don't just reap things of the Spirit, you reap eternal life. So the principle three of the harvest, you, you reap more than you sow. A farmer sows a kernel of corn. He doesn't just get another kernel of corn. Of course, he get a corn stalk that has a whole ear of corn on it. Maybe two ears, ears of corn on it. You reap more than you sow. And principle four of the harvest, you reap later than you sow. Paul says in verse 9, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You don't sow on Monday and reap on Tuesday. 
Just like you don't put $1,000 in the stock market today and get out $10,000 tomorrow. You might lose $10,000. It takes time. It takes time. And this is where people mess up with God. They think, aha, I've gotten away with it. Nobody has seen. God has seen. God has seen. And that's, that's what he's saying here. Back in verse 7. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. God has been watching what they've been doing. And judgment's coming, and that judgment is going to be far worse than they would have ever dreamed it was going to be. They haven't gotten away with anything. He talks about the stalk doesn't have any standing grain. It won't produce any flour. He's saying the same thing basically uh, here in verse 7. They're empty in other words. They've sown emptiness uh, and this is what they'll get. An empty stalk is not going to produce grain that you can get any flour from. And even if they do get a portion out of the harvest, God's going to end up giving it to their enemies, the Assyrians. Folks, Israel was supposed to be a special vessel for the Lord's use, but now, he goes on to say here, they've become useless pottery, basically. Uh, Israel swallowed up. Now she is among the nations like something no one wants. Some translations say a piece of pottery that's worthless, useless, and nobody wants. Think of what's happened to Israel. They were supposed to be this very special vessel for the Lord. And now they've just become something useless. Sad. Verse 9, they've gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has sold herself to lovers. In other words, they've become just like Gomer. I hadn't talked about Gomer in a while. Remember Gomer from the from the first chapters in Hosea, what was Gomer? She was a prostitute. That Hosea was told to go and marry a prostitute because their marriage was going to be like God's marriage to His people. He had been faithful, but Israel's been unfaithful like a prostitute. He says here, Ephraim has sold herself to lovers. Spiritually, they've prostituted themselves. Uh, and then here they are running off to Assyria for help. But you know what? Assyria is going to become a cruel taskmaster over them. Verse 11, Though Ephraim built many altars for sin offerings, these have become altars for sin. <coughs> Again, Ephraim refers to the northern kingdom. And there's a sad irony being communicated here. Their religion has become a snare. They built these altars to Baal, but instead of taking away sin, these altars to Baal have actually increased their sin. Because what would they do at the altars of Baal? They would engage in sexual immorality, hoping it would motivate Baal and Asherah They're false gods they were worshiping to engage in sexual immorality and they thought this would produce fertility for the land. So the very altars you've built, going to these altars of Baal, that you built these altars thinking they could alleviate your sin, these very altars have become places where your sin increases. Self-styled religion. And it's a curse. Folks, we've got to worship God and approach God based on the revelation He's given us. Any old way to approach God and worship God is not the same. You know, today people want to say, just pick your path and be committed to it. No. It's got to be the right path. The path that God Himself has established. We don't determine the right way to go to God. God determines the right way to go to Him. God reveals it in His Word. Amen? And they've not done it. Verse 12, 
says, I wrote for them the many things of my law, but they regarded them as something foreign. They were looking at it like, this isn't for us. This applies to somebody else. And folks, that ought to be a warning flag to us too when we read things in the Bible and say, oh, that doesn't apply to me. You know, somebody else has to live by that standard, not me. That ought to be a danger, danger sign. Verse 13, though they offer sacrifices as gifts to me, and though they eat the meat, the Lord is not pleased with them. Now he will remember their wickedness and punish their sins. They will return to Egypt. He's saying here the things they're offering to him, he will not receive. And they're going to again experience bondage. He's not saying they're going to go back to Egypt because they're going to Assyria, not Egypt. But he's saying like Egypt was a time of bondage, they're going right back to that same kind of bondage they experienced back in the days when they were in Egypt. Folks, some takeaway lessons. There is to be a genuineness to our faith. There is to be a genuineness to our faith. We have to worship the true and the living God and not a made-up God. But we also have to worship Him sincerely and with life change. Second, God's people are to seek Him and depend upon Him. We are not to live like practical atheists, saying the right words, but then conducting life as though God isn't there. Third, it is the height of foolishness to worship things that cannot save. It is the height of foolishness to worship things that cannot save. And then lastly, we are never to view judgment from God as though it will be inconsequential. We are never to view judgment from God as though it will be inconsequential. Inconsequential. 